This is May 8th, 2022. Happy Mother's Day for all of you who are mothers. Uh, you know, what, what work could be more important than being a mother? To have such a profound influence on a, on a child, a baby and a child in its formative years that will affect it for the rest of its life. I've heard that uh, it's not that uncommon for soldiers on the battlefield as they're dying or being tortured or, or in a, yeah, I think that's mainly what I've heard, to be crying out for their mother. Hakuman, uh, these biographers say Hakuman felt very close to his mother uh, his whole life and credited her with getting him to the Dharma. Uh, and we're going to pick up today about halfway through uh, Hakuman, Hakuman chant, Hakuman's pray, chant and praise of Zazen. We did part one yesterday, we'll finish it today. And uh, it starts, this part two, the second half starts with uh, hearing this truth, heart humble and grateful, to praise and embrace it, to practice its wisdom, brings unending blessings, brings mountains of merit. Hearing this truth. Um, I remember Roshi Kaplow saying that there is this this uh, this injunction in in the uh, sutras: hear the truth, believe it, practice it, and realize it. It begins with hearing. What what spectacularly good karma we have to be able to hear the Dharma. What does that mean? What is hearing the Dharma? It, it, it means hearing, well, we could say the three characteristics of existence, that um, of, of suffering, that suffering, pain is the nature, it's, it's, it's pervasive in all, for all beings. Uh, it's a way of saying we got we got to come to terms with it. We have to accept it and and see how we can manage it. Suffering, the first of the four noble truths. The the second of the three characteristics of existence is that of impermanence. Who who of any other religion would? look at, at this aspect of the Dharma and say, no, no, I disagree. Things are, some things are permanent. Yes, some things are relatively permanent. Some things are apparently permanent. But uh, there is no qualification to that, that ultimately everything is in flux. Everything is changing. There's nothing we can hold on to.
forever. No one we can hold on to forever. Even our mothers. So the first was suffering, the second is impermanence, and the third is no self. And this is one where you get a lot of pushback from people of other religions, I suppose. But it really follows from the teaching of of impermanence that there can't be any fixed, permanent, self-standing self. We, we feel like there's someone in here, there's some person who uh, is um, continues from birth to death, uh, and, 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 and that's true uh, relatively. Yes, there is some, some continuity of, of personhood, of our temperament, our personality, our looks, uh, yes, uh, but what awakening reveals is that there is nothing here to endure, even from moment to moment, never mind from childhood, comparing a child to uh, an old person. Uh, yes, there's a lot of continuity, but... Um, Within that continuity, there's always change. This is a very promising, very promising uh, truth that we can change. We're not stuck with a self. So again, hearing this truth, we just enumerated three features of the Dharma. Hearing it, believing it, practicing it, at least believe it enough to practice it, and then the realization of it, awakening. Hearing this truth, heart, humble, the heart grows more humble the longer we practice. And so does our gratitude. This is the inevitable outgrowth of practice, long years of practice, is gratitude. We don't have to try to feel grateful. It happens the longer we practice and the more we practice, that is, and the more we practice in a, in a week or a month or a year. He continues to praise and embrace it. Uh, embrace it really means practicing it, the Dharma sitting and extending this mind of sitting, this mind of meditation into our everyday life to practice its wisdom brings unending blessings, brings mountains of merit. One of one of my, mo- my f- very most favorite uh, 
verses in the Mumon Khan uh, by Zen master Mumon is where he says, it helps you cross the river when the bridge is broken down. It accompanies you when you return to the village on a moonless night. I think these last couple of years, possibly more than any two years of my life, uh, more people are facing, are trying to find their way through this moonless night, the dark. Despondency, discouragement, depression. We are in a period of darkness with everything that's happening. War, climate change, spinning out of control, forest fires and flooding and, and the terrible, toxic political divisions and poverty. And it's got our, we got our hands full now. But to, to believe in the Dharma means to believe that this will change, to have faith that this is not a permanent condition. Anyone, any student of history can find far worse periods, even in our own country, but certainly uh, globally, other countries, China and Japan, the horrible civil wars and famine and well it was it was hellish but it passed why would this not pass what we're going through now this is this is such a central article of faith and and hope in the dharma is the, the passing nature of things Zen Master Dogen, this just comes to mind right now, Zen Master Dogen said, uh, one who would practice the Dharma must have faith in karma and believe in the impermanence of all things, something like that. Somehow we'll find our way out of this, or if, if we don't, our descendants will. Nothing is permanent. Again, brings unending blessings, brings mountains of merit. This, uh, this word merit, I think, uh, to the extent that Zen practitioners here are familiar with that word. Uh, some may think of it just in the negative. That is that this uh, legendary encounter between the great Bodhidharma, the founder of the Zen, between Bodhidharma and the emperor, 
and the emperor uh, uh, is kind of boasting about all the thousands of monks he's supported and the monasteries he's had built. And uh, he asks, uh, what merit is that? He just wants confirmation. He wants Bodhidharma to pat him on the back. And Bodhidharma says, no merit at all. But Bodhidharma was just speaking from the side of emptiness, of the absolute. From that side, and we talked last week in Teisho, as we have so many Teishos, there are two sides of this, what the Tibetans call this non-dual reality. The one side, no, there's no merit, there's no time, there's no space, there's no self or other, there's nothing. But that's just half the truth. The other half is, yes, depending on our actions and our words and our thoughts that to to a large extent determine our actions and our words, based on all those things, the way we live our lives, we can acquire merit, good karma. That, uh, yes, uh, in ancient China, so uh, the situation was that if you wanted to practice the Dharma seriously, you had to become ordained. And uh, it was the the hope of lay people that at least they could, by supporting the monks and nuns, that they could hope for uh, to be born as to be born into the life of the monkhood in their next life. But the most they could do now is just support the monks and, and nuns. So we can, we can see how skewed that is, and, and it's what a, what a great thing it is now that we can, we can, we've shown for some 60 years now, we meaning Western Buddhism, that uh, you don't, lay people don't have to limit themselves to just financially supporting others. We can practice as lay people. And that brings, we would say in Buddhism, that would bring the the highest merit is practice. Yes, yes, supporting financially in other ways. That also uh, accumulates merit for us, good karma. But uh, why limit it to that if we can practice, if we can cross our legs in our own homes, uh, sit in chairs and do zazen? And in the next stanza, Hakuin says, and when we turn inward and prove our true nature, the true self is no self. Our own self is no self. We go beyond ego and past clever words. Uh, and when we turn inward and prove our true nature, it, when we first st- when we began chanting the Hakuin chant in the early 70s, uh, it, it read one, one difference. We said, and if we turn inward and prove our true nature, of course, referring to awakening 
then we changed if to when. And anyone can appreciate the difference between if and when. Because in Buddhism we would say it's, it's, it's just a matter of time. It's not if. Of course, time is a, is a very long arc to it. It doesn't mean just this lifetime. say in the in the sutras that uh, it may it's it's inevitable it's inevitable that we will awaken to our originally enlightened nature turn inward doesn't mean shutting out the world it doesn't mean only sitting Turn inward means not getting caught in objects. And objects doesn't just mean physical things, people and things. It means the objects of the mind, thoughts. We can be uh, fully engaged in the world and be turned inward if we're not clinging to our thoughts. Still, there's no better place to, to no, no place where we're more likely to prove our true nature than in sitting, and especially sashin. Yes, people awaken outside Sashin. It's very unusual, but it happens. It's much more common in Sashin. And if you think I'm, I'm making a pitch for, the go, for people to go to Sashin, you're right. I am. I know that's, for some people, maybe many people, that's beyond what they can do at maybe at some moment because of the circumstances of their life. But uh, there's, no, there's no, no place uh, where you're more likely to confirm everything Hakon is saying and confirm your original nature than in Sashin. The true self is no self. Our own self is no self. This is the, the basic paradox uh, of the Dharma. That things are no things. This is the problem with words. Uh, when we say our true self, our Buddha nature, and so forth, all those various synonyms, for the ultimate, uh, then we so easily get caught in, um, well, notions of selfhood.
So why, why do all these great Zen masters use these terms like our true self, true mind, original self, and so forth? Because they're trying to point to what is beyond words, trying to point to reality. Um, And that's, how do you do that without some words? I've read, I I would never claim to be a scholar of Buddhism or Zen, but I have read uh, a book, um, well, more than one place, but one book in particular called Buddha Nature. And uh, and the author uh, makes the point that in, in original Buddhism, they don't have these terms, true self, true nature, These were, these were used later as a form of uh, what we call skillful means of helping people uh, relate to what is really nothing. In original Buddhism, yeah, they didn't have those terms. The, the Buddha... Uh, spoke mostly uh, in terms of negation, what is not. His, uh, probably his most succinct such statement is, not this, not that. One way to understand the word mu, the koan mu, or the word mu, uh, is, and this is also from a book about uh, foreign words that are difficult to translate, one of the entries of the several hundred entries is the word mu. And the author seems has nothing to do with Zen, he doesn't refer to it, but uh, he argues that mu is best understood as it's not what you think. So, so plug that into that exchange between a monk and Joshua where the monk says, does even a dog have Buddha nature? And now think of Joshua replying, it's not what you think. Anything you think can't be it. This true self that is no self is, of course, ever-changing. That's because that's its nature. It has, it's, it's formless. I mean, it gives the appearance of form, physical form. Yeah, we see, we look in the mirror, we, we have bodies. Uh, but, but ultimately, there is a, a dynamic nature to this self. And that's what water and is getting at there is uh, 
you know, the, the Japanese word for a novice monk is unsui. Unsui means cloud water. Clouds and water have no fixed form. They are always adapting, accommodating to circumstances and conditions. This is our nature. In the, in the last Teisho, when I did the first half of the Hakuin chant, I meant to mention this when uh, near the beginning, where uh, Hakuin says, from the very beginning, all beings are Buddha, like water and ice. Without water, no ice. Outside us, no Buddhas. Through Zen practice, we are going from ice to water. We're going from clinging to our ideas about ourselves and others and things. We're going from uh, rigidity uh, that comes from attachment to thoughts and ideas. We're going from that to, well, melting. <laughs> there's a there's a there's a f- phrase by Japanese uh, Zen master Menzan. He said, melting the frozen block of emotion thought. Emotion thought. All that stuff that we can come run up against in our sitting, in our cell, outside our sitting too. Our nature, okay, our true nature is water, clouds, flexibility, adaptability, openness, movement, fluidity. And that's what we are reclaiming through Zen practice. It may take a while. These things don't happen overnight. We've, we've been frozen blocks of ice for a long time. It takes a while for it to melt. And the fastest way to melt it is in sashim. It's like putting that ice over a flame. Okay, after sashim, it kind of refreezes a little bit. <laughs> But we, we always have daily sitting between sessions to keep it from locking up completely like ice. I think it's interesting. I just noticed this after 50 years of chanting this. This stanza ends with we go beyond ego and pass clever words. Again, he says, uh, when we turn inward and prove our true nature, the true self is no self, our own self is no self, we go beyond clever words. 
again, the uh, the the emptiness of terms like true self that can so easily snag us into thinking there's something substantial and and permanent. Historically, Zen has been known as the sect of Buddhism uh, that is beyond words, beyond words and concepts, really. Zen has always recognized the danger of words, how easily we become attached to them. And that that itself comes from our attachment to our thoughts. You could say that the whole the whole koan system is designed to in particular is designed to help us see through words and concepts. It's a good way to sum it up. But then you could say the same for Zen practice of any practice, breath practice, shikantaza. As we come to see the emptiness of our thoughts, then it just naturally follows that words are just as empty. They're useful up to a point. Found this uh, this um, statement from uh, a nineteenth-century French moralist by the name of Joseph Joubert. It's really nifty. He says, "Words like eyeglasses blur everything that they do not make more clear." Yeah, it's not just in Zen that uh, wise men and women have seen the deceptive nature of words and the need to go beyond them. Walt Whitman, the great Walt Whitman, who I suspect was someone of realization, real what we in Zen would call realization, this is what he wrote at some point in his, in his Leaves of Grass. There is something that comes to one now and perpetually. It is not what is printed, preached, discussed. It eludes discussing and print. It is not to be put in a book. It is not this book. It is not in this book. It is for you, whoever you are, it is no farther from you than your hearing and sight are from you. It is hinted by nearest, commonest, readiest. It is ever provoked by them. People who are very clever um, manipulating words, either spoken words or written words, are uh, in a state of 
of, of danger because they can be so successful through that medium, through manipulating symbols. It's like, like numbers too, numbers and, le- and words, symbols that uh, they may find little, little, little incentive to go beyond words. Uh, Zen master Umo, one of the, the greatest, most illustrious of the Tang dynasty masters, they say, his biographers say, he was absolutely brilliant with words. And to the point that he came to see the danger of words. And as a master, he came to be known for his one-word responses. He was very... He was very short of words. He was very laconic because he knew what this Joubert knew, that they can so easily uh, blur things that they don't make more clear. And this is the dilemma, the danger that anyone who is presenting uh, Dharma talk of any kind this is the danger we face, is mocking things up. There's so many, uh, so many passages in old Zen texts where the masters, uh, at the beginning of their talks, they, they offer this kind of uh, lamentation that they, they have to use words because of the danger of words complicating everything. Moving on here, because time is moving on, uh, the next stanza. Then, then the gate to the oneness of cause and effect is thrown open. The gate to the oneness of cause and effect is thrown open. Cause and effect is just that one side of the coin, the side of relativity, of the phenomenal world, the other side is this beyond cause and effect. This is translated as the oneness of cause and effect. Okay, uh, fair enough. Another way to say it is uh, the gate to the, the emptiness, the no-thingness of cause and effect. That is the realm of the undifferentiated. Uh, there's a uh, the verse of uh, the the last koan in the Mumonkan. Uh, actually, the final line, I think, as the final line of the whole collection, the whole Mumonkan, is uh, although each move is ahead of the next, no that there is another way up. Here he's, when he says the the gate is thrown open, of course, again, he's referring to awakening. 
He goes on, not two and not three. Straight ahead runs the way. Beyond multiplicity, beyond differentiation, there is the way. The Tao. The Dharma. In another koan in the Mumon Khan called uh, Joshu Sees Through the Old Woman, uh, it opens with the monks challenging this old, old woman they encounter at a tea stand on the road to a great, uh, great holy mountain, Mount Wutai. And uh, they ask, what is the way to Mount Wutai? And uh, she replies, Go straight ahead. Go straight on. Well, of course, because this is a koan, we know that she's not saying literally, don't turn left, don't turn right. Just go down this you know, dirt road right here. It was quite, uh, quite a thrill when I was on that road to Mount Gotai some uh, 37 years ago in, in China, one of my pilgrimages, to see that that road, <laughs> that I'm speaking literally here, the, the physical road to Mount Gutai, Gutai is uh, extremely winding road. It's, it, it, it's, it's, it's I, other than a road I was on once uh, going from in Mexico, from Oaxaca to the beach, the, the coast, that's the most serpentine I've ever been on. Hours of curves and curves and curves. This was like second most. Go straight ahead. Proceed with an undivided mind. That's the way to this mountain of wisdom. He goes on, our form now being no form, and going and returning, we never leave home. Again, he's speaking from the absolute side, the undifferentiated side. Once we've seen that this world of form is ultimately, essentially, in its essence, is formless, then we never leave home. And the same with thoughts, our thought, once we've seen that our thoughts are ultimately without substance to them, they're no thought, then our dancing and songs and the voice of the Dharma. In other words, the Dharma is not limited to, uh, it's not limited, period. Even our dancing and songs. Now this this could be misused. This can be used as a justification to just go out and horse around in bars and and um, do a lot of foolish things. Uh, but Hakoan here is is speaking from uh, the, the real deep his own deep awakening that uh, 
we really can't divide reality into uh, what is what is Zen and what's not Zen, and, and, and ultimately it's all the Dharma. <laughs> That's the other definition of the Dharma. It doesn't just mean the teaching of the Buddha and his many the many masters after him, but the Dharma is just the truth. Our dancing and songs are the truth. How can they be outside the truth? How can anything be outside the truth? If the truth is the truth, it's everything. How vast is the heaven of boundless samadhi? Here, Hakon is just is just uh, and and just enraptured by what he has seen. Vast is the heaven of boundless samadhi. Samadhi, again, as we said last week, doesn't just mean while you're sitting. Samadhi is when you're free of um, thoughts that encumber the mind, when you're unshackled from the mo- from thoughts. How vast is the heaven of boundless samadhi. Featureless, undifferentiated, limitless, Boundless freedom. How bright and transparent the moonlight of wisdom. He can't restrain himself. He's just he's just blasted here as he's writing this. We can get a t- taste of that uh, after when we come out of Sashin. especially a seven-day sashin. And then he ends the final stanza. What is there outside us? What is there we lack? What could there be outside us when there is no us apart from everything else? What could we possibly lack? Nirvana is openly shown to our eyes. Another fundamental teaching of the Dharma, confirmed through awakening, is is uh, the very the very dichotomy of nirvana and samsara is uh, limited. It's not the, tr- the full truth. That this this world right here, nirvana is openly shown to our eyes right now. Look around. The zendo, the room we're sitting in, our families, The flowers, and not just the flowers, the beautiful spring things, but the sad faces, the suffering. This earth where we stand is the pure lotus land. 
very body, the body of Buddha. The Buddha once said, I declare to you that in this very body, though only six feet in length, but conscious and endowed with mind, are the world and the origin of the world and the ceasing of the world, and likewise the way that leadeth to the ceasing thereof. very body, the body of Buddha. The Chinese masters uh, uh, refer more than the Japanese masters, they refer to the body of reality. This world of formless form. Vimalakirti Sutra. It reads, This body is like floating clouds that change and pass away in a moment. All right. Let's end it there. We'll now stop and recite the four vows. <clears throat> 